You play to win the game. To all the non-believers, anybody can be beat. The best ever. I'm the most brutal and vicious and most ruthless champion there's ever been. Hello? You play to win the game. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from Nairclaw. There's no one that can match me. I'm handsome. I'm fast, I'm pretty, and can't possibly be beat. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. Can't wait. Welcome to the Versus Podcast. My name is Jadiam Wendo. In this podcast, we take classic teams, players, and fighters and pit them against each other in the ultimate fantasy matchup. In this episode, we pit Lennox Lewis against Riddick Bowe in the greatest heavyweight matchup of the 90s, that never happened. In February 1990, Mike Tyson was the man. He was the heavyweight champion of the world, undefeated and undisputed. But he was upset by Buster Douglas. Tyson's loss was considered a fluke, so no one then considered Buster Douglas the man, even though he beat the man. So when Evander Holyfield knocked out Buster Douglas in the third round in October of 1990, Nobody then thought that Holyfield was the man, because he hadn't really beat the man who was Mike Tyson. Even Holyfield himself said he couldn't be considered the champ until he beat Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield were scheduled to fight several times between 1990 and 1992, when Mike Tyson went to prison. With Tyson gone, who was the man? Who was the real heavyweight champion? A tournament was established between the four contenders for the crown, Riddick Bowe, Lennox Lewis, Donovan Razor Ruddick, and Evander Holyfield. Riddick Bowe was to fight Evander Holyfield, and Lennox Lewis was to fight Razor Ruddick. And the winner of those two fights would fight each other for the crown of heavyweight champion. In the first fight, Lennox Lewis knocked out Razor Ruddick in two rounds. It was by far his best performance to date. Two weeks later, Riddick Bowe defeated Evander Holyfield by unanimous decision in an all-time great heavyweight bout. Riddick Bowe and Lennox Lewis were contractually obligated to fight each other to determine who was the true heavyweight champion of the world. But instead of fighting Lennox Lewis, Riddick Bowe threw his belt, the WBC belt, the green belt, in the trash can. Like he literally, there was a trash can on the table at the press conference and he literally threw his belt into the trash. So the fight between Lewis and Bo never took place. So that fight that never occurred in 1993, we're going to hold it here. So this mythical matchup between Riddick Bo and Lennox Lewis will occur now on Versus. In order to decide this matchup, we're going to look at some of the notable fights from both Riddick Bowe and Lennox Lewis prior to when they would have met up in 1993. We'll look at Lewis's offense versus Bowe's defense, and we'll look at Bowe's offense versus Lewis's defense, and we'll, exp- we'll briefly explore any intangibles that each fighter may have that may give them an edge. We'll look at the tail of the tape based on each fighter prior to this mythical matchup, then we'll go through the verdict the reasons why we decided the fight the way we did. So before we get into the analysis and the breakdown of the fight, I'd like to clear up some misconceptions about Bo throwing his belt into the trash. It has been commonly considered 
that Bo was afraid to fight Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis defeated Riddick Bo in the 1988 Olympics for the super heavyweight gold medal. However, even before Lennox Lewis fought Razor Ruddick, there were rumors that Rock Newman, Riddick Bowe's manager, didn't want Riddick Bowe to fight Lennox Lewis. Instead, there was an offer on the table to fight George Foreman in Beijing, China for a $20 million site fee, minimum. Rock Newman didn't want Riddick Bowe to be held hostage by the WBC, who didn't want the Bowe Foreman fight. The WBC wanted the Bo Lewis fight. In fact, after the Bo Holyfield fight, I believe it was Jim Lampley who asked Riddick Bo if the rumors were true that he was scheduled to fight George Foreman next. And George Foreman was on the broadcast team. He was standing right next to Jim Lampley, and Jim Lampley asked George Foreman, and George Foreman shrugged it off. He didn't want to talk about it. So based on that, it seems to me that Riddick Bowe throwing the WBC belt in the trash was not really about avoiding Lennox Lewis. It was more about avoiding a mandatory WBC fight when there was a more lucrative fight on the table. Now, the Riddick Bowe-George Foreman fight never came to fruition. They never fought. But it makes sense that Riddick Bowe would prefer the more lucrative fight. In preparation for this fight, I watched all of Riddick Bowe's fights from his debut to the Evander Holyfield fight. I'm not going to go through all of those fights because when he fought Evander Holyfield, he was like 30-0 or 31-0, something like that. But I will touch on a few key fights before the Evander Holyfield fight. Riddick Bowe's first real test was against Pinklin Thomas. Pinklin Thomas was a former world champion. But at that time, Pinklin Thomas was washed up. He was a drug addict or former drug addict. Well, I guess you're never former drug addict. He was a drug addict and his best years were far behind him. But he's the type of fighter that all young up and coming fighters need. A former champion, a name, but one who's over the hill and not really a threat. Someone crafty enough to give you a test and teach you some lessons, but not prime enough not close enough to their prime to be a threat to win the fight. In his prime, Pinklin Thomas had a great jab and displayed good boxing skills. But in this fight, despite some success early on with his jab, he became a punching bag for Riddick Bowe. Bowe won on the outside with his jab and combination punching, and when the fight went inside, Bowe won there as well. Pinklin Thomas looked old and out of shape. And Riddick Bowe battered him from pillar to post. After eight rounds of taking a severe beating, the Pinklin-Thomas fight was stopped with Thomas retiring in his corner. One of the more notable things in this fight was around, I believe it was at the beginning of the fifth round, one of the commentators said that Pinklin-Thomas said about Bowe that he was better than a young Larry Holmes, which is certainly a high compliment. The next notable fight was against Burt Cooper. In fact, it was his next fight after the Pinklin-Thomas fight. Burt Cooper was a tough, rugged, but limited heavyweight. And in the first round, Cooper took the fight to Bo, actually beating Riddick Bo on the inside. Bo, not using his jab, allowed Cooper on the inside. 
but after the first round, Riddick Bowe's trainer, the legendary Eddie Futch, implored Bowe to use a jab. And within two minutes of using the jab, the fight was over. Cooper was no longer able to get inside. Bowe's length kept Burt Cooper at the end of his jab, and Riddick Bowe's powerful right hand all but ended the fight. Riddick Bowe's next notable fight was against the former world champion Tony Tubbs. Tubbs was one of those fighters that you would call a waste of talent. He had extremely quick hands, a lightning-fast jab, and good boxing skills. In the Tony Tubbs fight, Riddick Bowe again showed great inside fighting, hurting Tubbs several times with uppercuts and working to Tubbs' body. Bo also showed the ability to fight at a distance using his jab and his straight right hand. He showed great combination punching. But like in his previous fights, Bo seemed to invite infighting even when he was winning at a distance. But he usually won on the inside. He didn't let himself get held and was versatile enough to win on the inside or the outside. Riddick Bo won a unanimous decision, which in subsequent fights commentator said was a close fight or a contentious fight that maybe Tony Tubbs won but when I watched the fight I didn't see that at all. Riddick Bowe clearly won the fight. He didn't knock Tony Tubbs out and maybe he should have but in my estimation Bowe clearly won the fight. In the Evander Holyfield fight Riddick Bowe showed something that most experts and analysts were not sure that he had, and that was heart. He was accused, coming out of the Olympics, of lacking heart, lacking desire, lacking the want to work hard. So coming out of the Olympics, even though he was a silver medalist, he had no offers from managers or promoters. The only one he received was from Rock Newman. Rock Newman approached Eddie Futch, who was basically retired, and begged him to train Riddick Bowe. Futch, based on Bowe's reputation as lazy, as having no heart or desire, refused. But Rock Newman would not take no for an answer. So Futch eventually met with Riddick Bowe and demanded that Bowe do everything he says, no questions asked. And the second Bowe did not do what Futch said or questioned him, Eddie Futch said he was out. And to the surprise of everyone, including Futch, Bo did exactly what Eddie Futch asked, asked. And when heart became necessary, when it became a key component, a necessary component to winning the world championship, Bo showed he had it in spades. Early on, Evander Holyfield beat Riddick Bo to the punch, leaping in with combinations and lead right hands that Riddick Bowe seemingly had no answer for. Midway through the second round, there was a 30-second exchange where the two fighters stood toe-to-toe and slugged it out. And it seemed that in that exchange, Riddick Bowe's heart kicked in, and he raised his intensity. He raised his punch output to match Evander Holyfield. Evander Holyfield, who notably had a great heart, one of the greatest of all time. Everything we saw previously from Bo was on display in this fight. Great combination punching, fast hands, inside fighting, uppercuts, hooks to the body, 
jabbing straight right from the outside. But Bo also showed that he had a tremendous chin. For Lennox Lewis, I watched all of his fights up to the Razorotic fight. He had fewer notable opponents because he fought his early career in England, where the level of competition is much lower than in America. His first notable opponent was former heavyweight champion Mike Weaver. Weaver rushed to Lewis early, forcing Lennox Lewis to fight, which early on in fights, Lewis is ready and willing to do. After one hard shot, one hard right hand, all the fight seemed to just flow out of Weaver. To be fair, Mike Weaver was 40 years old at the time. After Lewis had established his power and gained Mike Weaver's respect, Lewis became a more cautious fighter. The dynamic offense that he employed to keep Mike Weaver off of him and to demand respect from Mike Weaver transformed into a jab-jab right-hand combo on repeat. Lewis eventually knocked Weaver out in the sixth round, but he showed a pattern that he showed for all of his previous fights and all of his subsequent fights up until Razor Ruddick, where he would start early with dynamic combination punching, but would retreat into a more cautious 1-1-2-1-1-1-1-2 type of pattern. Jab, jab, right hand. Jab, jab, straight right hand. Lewis's next most notable fight was against former Olympic gold medalist Tyrell Biggs, who he knocked out in the third round. Tyrell Biggs had a ton of talent, but was a crack addict and his best years were wasted. By this time, Terrell Biggs was just an opponent. Lewis did what he had to do, was aggressive early, and knocked Terrell Biggs out, showing power in his right hand, the same as he did in the Mike Weaver fight. Interestingly, Terrell Biggs fought Riddick Bowe as well, and was knocked out in the eighth round by Riddick Bowe. The Donovan Razor Ruddick fight was Lennox Lewis's first big test. He was, in fact, the underdog. Razor Ruddick had two fights against Mike Tyson, one where the fight was semi-controversially stopped early. Tyson had Ruddick hurt. Ruddick didn't go down, but he was getting battered around, and the referee stopped the fight. In the post-fight interview, Mike Tyson said Razor Ruddick hit like a mule. In the second fight, Tyson won a unanimous decision, but knocked Razor Ruddick down a couple of times. Based primarily on those two Mike Tyson fights, Razor Ruddick was seen as the favorite or co-favorite to win this entire tournament. Early on, Lennox Lewis was cautious, which was uncharacteristic for him looking at his previous fights. Usually, Lewis would come on early and try to establish dominance early, establish his power early, and then coast from there. In this fight, Lennox came out more cautious. Ruddick was a huge puncher. Towards the end of the first round, Ruddick jabbed Lennox to the body, and Lewis countered with a right cross, which is Lewis's power punch. Ruddick hit the canvas. He was dazed. He was basically out. <laughs> he managed to make it to his feet, and the bell rang. But in the second round, Lewis finished the job and knocked Ruddick out. Let's look at Bo's offense versus Lewis's defense. Bo had a dynamic, multifaceted offensive package. He had every punch and could throw any of them with power. 
This was on display in pretty much every fight he was in, but it was most notable in both the Pinkland Thomas fight as well as the Evander Holyfield fight. In the Thomas fight, Bo was basically just hitting a punching bag, but in the Holyfield fight, Bo had to fight with everything he had to match the intensity and punch output that Holyfield brought to the table. Bo had a tremendous jab and used it to set up combinations and to work his way inside. He didn't seek to maintain distance despite his height and reach because he was comfortable fighting on the outside, using his jab, using his reach, using his straight right hand, throwing hooks, combinations, or he was comfortable on the inside, throwing uppercuts, hooks to the body. He was comfortable either way. And in fact, sometimes he seemed to prefer to fight on the inside. And he hurt fighters with pretty much every punch. He hurt Burt Cooper with a straight right hand. He hurt Evander Holyfield with an uppercut. He broke Rodolfo Marin's jaw with an uppercut. He hurt Pinklin Thomas with the left hook. He hurt Pinklin Thomas with everything. Again, Bo had a tremendous jab. And in fact, Evander Holyfield, who fought both Riddick Bo and Lennox Lewis, and in fact, he fought them both when they were at their best. Riddick Bo was definitely at his best. And Lennox Lewis, at that time when he fought Evander Holyfield, had Emmanuel Stewart. And that was the best version of Lennox Lewis. Evander Holyfield said Riddick Bo had the best jab. He said that Bo could use it both offensively and defensively. Let's look at Lewis's defense. At this point in his career, Lennox Lewis's defense was primarily to cover up, kind of winky right style, and weather attacks from the outside. If a fighter got on the inside, Lewis quickly wrapped up, holding behind the head and tying up a free arm. Lewis would also lean away from punches with his rear hand up to block any incoming punches. Later in his career, he would use his legs more to move out of damage, taking half step back or full step back to get out of his opponent's punching range. But he held on the inside throughout his entire career. Lewis did not like to fight on the inside and seemed to avoid it whenever possible. The one notable exception in the fights that I watched was the Levi Billups fight, where he uncharacteristically fought and won on the inside. We started to see signs of Lewis using his legs to move out of danger once he got with Pepe Correa, but he didn't fully employ it until after the Razor Ruddick fight. Now let's talk about Lewis's offense versus Bo's defense. Lennox Lewis, in many of his fights, in fact, in almost all of his fights, showed that he had the tools to be a dynamic combination puncher. But he usually only showed it for two or three rounds. He usually came out aggressive, throwing a variety of punches, seeming to establish his power and his dominance over his opponent. And once he felt he'd done that, he settled into a jab right cross routine. He seemed to have a silent agreement with his opponent where he said, I won't throw anything but this jab and right cross if you don't attack me. And his opponent seemed to just say, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> Lewis had power in his straight right hand, so he was still knocking guys out even after he became more cautious and more routine. But unlike Bo, he did not display power in other punches. Pretty much all of his knockouts came from or started with a right cross. And again, Lewis did not want to fight on the inside. 
He'd rather hold than fight. Because of his cautious fighting style, he was never hurt and was never in any danger of really being hit. Unlike Riddick Bowe, who, because he threw so many punches, was often open for counters. But also because of his cautious style, we don't know at this point in his career if Lennox Lewis can take a punch. We know that Bo can. Let's look at Bo's defense. For most of his early fights, Riddick Bo's defense consisted of slipping and ducking punches, as well as catching and blocking punches. He was actually a pretty elusive fighter. But by the time of the Evander Holyfield fight, he was no longer slipping and ducking punches and was mainly relying on blocking punches and catching punches as his primary means of defense. He employed catch-and-shoot tactics, meaning he would block or intercept a punch, and that would trigger a counter either with a hand that blocked or with his opposite hand. So, for instance, he might catch a jab and automatically return a jab, or he might block a hook and then throw a straight right. Because he was doing very little slipping and ducking at this point, Bo got hit a lot more by the time of this mythical matchup than he did in previous fights. Bo used his jab both offensively and defensively. The fight that showed the greatest use and advantage of his jab was the Burt Cooper fight, where he didn't throw the jab hardly at all in the first round, and Burt Cooper was giving him the business. But in the second round, he established his jab, which kept Cooper off of him. And he used that jab to set up his straight right hand, which hurt Cooper and basically ended the fight. But by the time of this fight, he was using his jab less and less and was becoming more of a brawler than the skilled boxer he was earlier. Bo had a great chin. Despite being hurt a couple of times in earlier fights against light punchers, for instance, in the Terrell Biggs fight, he was hurt by a left hook and Tyrell Biggs is not a very big puncher, or he was not a very big puncher. Bo's chin stood up to some of Evander Holyfield's best shots. And for some context of what that means, Mike Tyson, when asked who was the hardest puncher he faced in his career, said Evander Holyfield. By the way, Mike Tyson fought Lennox Lewis as well. Now we've looked at their respective offenses versus defenses. Let's look at some of the intangibles. The biggest intangibles we've talked about, but deserve to be brought up again. Bo has proven his heart and he's proven his chin, whereas Lewis has yet to prove either. And if I'm thinking about it, I don't know that Lennox Lewis ever really proved his heart in the ring in any fight except maybe the Vitaly Klitschko fight, his last fight. And again, in the Oliver McCall, the first Oliver McCall fight and the first Haseen Rockman fight. Lennox Lewis showed he could be one punch KO'd, whereas Bo showed and proved he could take a punch. Because we're holding this fight, this mythical matchup, when Bo and Lewis should have fought in 1993, that means we're only considering fights up until that point, up until the Bo Holyfield and Lewis Razor Ruddick fight. Those are the last fights we're looking at. At that time, Lewis's trainer was Pepe Correa and not Emmanuel Stewart. Lewis went on to become his best self, his best fighter, under Emmanuel Stewart. But that's not the version of Lennox Lewis that we'll be looking at for this fight. Because this is the matchup following the Holyfield and Razor Ruddick fights, 
We also don't know that Lennox Lewis doesn't have a sturdy chin, as he would go on to be knocked out by Oliver McCall and Haseem Rahman in fights he had no business losing. But we can't consider that in this fight, because that never happened yet. We also don't know that Riddick Bowe loses all motivation and neglects his training following winning the heavyweight title. In an interview, Bowe said his goal was to win the heavyweight title. And once he did that, once he'd accomplished that, his motivation for fighting waned. He slacked in his training. He'd come into fights out of shape. And eventually, Eddie Futch left him because Bo no longer listened to what Futch said and did what Futch said. But we don't know that for this fight. So to start this fight, let's go to the tail of the tape. We're using the fighter's height, weight, reach from the fight immediately preceding this one. So for Bo, that would be the Evander Holyfield fight. And for Lennox Lewis, it would be the Razor Ruddick fight. Both fighters are six foot five. Riddick Bo weighs in at 235 pounds. Lennox Lewis weighs in at 227 and a half pounds. Bo has an 81 inch reach, while Lewis has an 82 inch reach. Both fighters are orthodox fighters, meaning their left hand is their lead hand. Riddick Bowe's trainer is Eddie Futch, the legendary Eddie Futch, while Lewis's trainer is Pepe Correa. Riddick Bowe comes into the fight 31-0 with 27 knockouts, while Lewis is 22-0 with 19 knockouts. As the bell rings for round one, Lennox Lewis jumps on Riddick Bowe early, trying to establish his dominance, trying to establish his power. He's trying to knock Bowe out early, but Bowe slugs back equally trying to demand Lewis's respect. The two fighters exchange blows throughout the course of the round, and when the bell rings, we the fans are thrilled at the action we just saw and the action we expect to come. Through the next two rounds, Lewis works behind his jab, throwing right hands, throwing left hooks to the head and to the body, and even hurts Bo with a straight right hand. Bo, despite being hurt, continues to throw his own combinations. Bo in these early rounds underutilizes his jab and is trying to slug with Lewis. And though Bo is throwing more punches, Lewis is the more effective fighter as he's working behind his jab. In the corner, after the third round, Eddie Futch tells Bo, use the jab, work behind the jab, and get inside of Lennox Lewis. Bo begins to establish his jab. Stepping forward as he's throwing his jab, he ends up on the inside with Lewis, who tries to hold. But Bo, adept at slipping out of holds on the inside, begins to work Lewis's body. As the rounds progress, Lewis tries to establish distance and fights more cautiously, attempting to keep Bo at bay. But Bo won't allow Lewis to be comfortable. He won't allow Lewis to remain cautious. When they fight on the outside, Bo's combination punching forces Lewis out of his comfort zone. It forces him out of his routine, one, two, one, two. On the outside, the fighters are even, both able to land on the other, neither fighter backing down. But the difference in the fight is when Riddick Bo is able to get inside of Lennox Lewis's jab. When he works his way inside using his own jab, getting close to Lewis and forcing Lewis to try to tie up. Usually, Bo is able to slip out of the tie-up and punish Lewis with uppercuts, punish him with hooks. Lewis is ill-equipped to fight on the inside. As the fight progresses, Bo's infighting and body punching begin to wear on Lewis, slow Lewis down, 
and make Lewis retreat into his more cautious approach. No longer is he answering Bo's combination punching with his own. In the championship rounds, rounds 10, 11, and 12, Riddick Bo begins to overwhelm Lennox Lewis and closes out the fight to win a unanimous decision and retain his heavyweight titles. And so why did I pick Riddick Bowe to beat Lennox Lewis? Well, the primary reasons are Lewis's inability or unwillingness to fight on the inside, whereas Bowe was a dynamic inside fighter, a ready and willing inside fighter, the fact that Lewis became a less dynamic fighter over the course of a fight, whereas Bo continued to be multifaceted, continued to throw combinations, and continued to press his offensive advantage throughout the course of a fight. The fact that Lewis tended to become a more cautious fighter raises questions about his heart. It raises questions about his aggression. It raises questions about his ability to rise to the challenge Whereas with Bo, we know that he can and will. And finally, probably the most important fight in analyzing this matchup, one that I haven't talked about yet, is the Olympic matchup between Riddick Bo and Lennox Lewis. In 1988, the two fought for the gold medal in the super heavyweight division. And in the first round, Riddick Bo won fairly convincingly. They started off pretty evenly. But as the round progressed, Riddick Bowe began to take control of the fight with infighting. In the second round, Lennox Lewis came out aggressively and hurt Bowe with a straight right hand. Bowe in the post-fight interview, in fact, said he was hurt. He was dazed. But he said not enough that he couldn't continue, not enough that the ref should have stopped the fight, which is what happened. Riddick Bowe didn't go down. He took the shot and kind of ducked under to avoid a second blow. And then all of a sudden the fight was over. But what that showed is that Bo could get inside of Lennox Lewis, and he would definitely win on the inside. And what it showed is that even though Lennox Lewis could land his big right hand, likely Bo could take it. And remember, Mike Tyson said that Evander Holyfield was the biggest puncher he faced, and that includes Lennox Lewis. Bo stood up to Evander Holyfield's punches. The assumption is that he could stand up to Lewis's as well. So it's for these reasons that in this mythical matchup, Riddick Bowe defeats Lennox Lewis. Thank you for joining me on the Versus Podcast. Again, my name is Jadiam Window. Please rate, review, subscribe, and definitely leave me comments as to who you think would win the fight. And also, let me know what matchups you would like to see in the future. The email I can be reached at, as well as the articles and videos that I relied on to make this analysis and to make this podcast will be in the show notes. See you next time on Versus. Can't wait!